Welcome to the D.A.R.E. podcast, where it is all about helping people overcome anxiety and panic attacks. The D.A.R.E. app has over 1 million downloads and is free to download at dareresponse.com. Now, without further ado, here is the D.A.R.E. podcast. The question we always start with, where are you guys from? Yeah. Where's everybody calling in from? Houston, Texas, Michigan. Scotland, Scotland Hi, Germany, Michigan, UK, Australia. All right, we have a guy out here. <laughs> Pakistan, wow. Tennessee, Latvia. <laughs> Ooh, look at everybody. Bing, 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 bing. Awesome. Here. Awesome. We don't have too many questions this month. It's just 16 or 15, I believe. So we have more time to talk about yeah, it. This is great. We must have just answered everybody's questions. And now we're going to like, Run out of stuff to talk about, I guess, right? Yeah. But we will have more time to respond to your questions that you um, post in the chat. That is cool because we almost never get to do that because we have so many questions that people submit. Yeah. Yeah. And then we can go off of like, you know, take one question. And if anybody wants to add to any of that in the chat, um, we can like expand on them. I kind of look through them quickly. What's kind of cool is that they, uh, there's a lot of them kind of like the bait. It looks like it's back to dare basics again, which is kind of what this whole thing is anyway. Um, so it's, it's good to kind of get back to um, basic answers for things that everything seems so different. And it seems like there are all these different questions. As you see guys, you know, the more Q and A's we have, there's a lot of similar answers that come up, but I could see a lot of um, maybe some newer people coming in. So it's, it's a good way to, as like a refresher. Yes. And everything is kind of like the same, just in a different color and mm -hmm. in a different shape. But the main thing is that it feels so different to the person experiencing it. It feels so different, like something completely new and something nobody else is experiencing, but, but just them. But always remember, the mechanics of anxiety are always the same. Always the same. There is a what-if scenario. You're trying to prevent that from happening. So you want to find out the cause, first of all. That's the most important thing. Where is this coming from? So let's think, 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 and analyze. And then let's try and prevent that thing from happening. And usually if it is a situation, so it's avoidance and safety behaviors, but if it's an internal experience, we try to prevent it with introspection. So the more I can observe myself and my thought processes and my body, the more I can make sure that I'm aware of danger so I can take measures then. Yeah. And we, we lose that middle ground from, okay, my body is allowed to, to experience discomfort. I am allowed to have shitty thoughts. And that means that there is a lot of gray room where, on, on how much of these sensations I can experience, how much discomfort I'm allowing myself to feel till it gets to the point that it is danger. If you're, if you're experiencing palpitations so hard and so intense that you don't get any break at all, well, it's a good idea, you know, to get it checked out by a doctor. But if you have a few palpitations throughout the day, hmm, right? But that gray room, we, we need to expand that gray room and to learn to allow more discomfort and not obsess so much about yeah. that. That was there in a nutshell. <laughs> and I want to just add to that too, because one of my posts this past week was, I weirdly looked like some ad from the 70s or something, but it was must or else. And so there's like, you know, I'm sure as we go through this list, there'll be some notice, like something about discomfort and sleeping and heart palpitations. And yeah, there are things you can do to attend to heart palpitations and sleep like, oh, try sleeping on your side. Try this pillow just for the sake of comfort. 
But if you are treating discomfort with a must or else attitude, right? Like must sleep or else I might go crazy, must control this heart rate or else I might die from a heart attack, right? This is really, this is what we do here with DARE. Not the, because there's a million things out there. You can find any sort of um, like herbal things and little gadgets. I don't know why I just got so dark there. Um, and things that help with fluctuation of discomfort, fluctuation of things in your body, thoughts you don't like. But when we take this approach, must do something about these thoughts or else. So if you guys are taking that mindset, even if you put it in the chat, what are you must or elseing? Because that's the mindset for danger. Must put out this fire that's on my face right now, or else I'm going to die right now. Yes. Must or else is a danger response. Okay. Must repress my thoughts or else they will take over and make me do the crazy shit I'm thinking about. Yep. Must stare at my heart all day long or else I might not catch it in time and then something medically will happen to me. So if you guys are must or else saying like a non active danger right now, you're must or else in the idea of danger something that reminds you of danger, that's probably why you're stuck because your body's now spewing out attention and energy and there's really no place to send it. So I want you guys to pay attention. Who takes that must or else attitude um, with specific things? Because it's never going to be about the specific thing. We're, we're here to kind of unglue that, that must or else intent. I wanted to add that too. That was my little post. This yeah, week. And you know, start, start to... <clears throat> The thing with, with the imagination of the anxious mind, it feels like the truth. So this is why we experience so much anxiety. But a little exercise you can do is, look, those are glasses. I have them in my hands. I can feel they're real. But if I close my eyes now and imagine glasses, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. But we treat the pictures in our head as if they were real things. And this is why we freak out about them. But always, always remind yourself, oh, is this a real thing? Can I touch it? Am I there? Am I feeling it? Or is it just in my head and I'm acting as if this is danger? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, my other post was, where are you fighting? Same thing. Even if it's in my head too, am I fighting the past? Or am I fighting the future? Right. Because we tend to do a lot of like fighting memories and fighting what ifs, all of which memories and what ifs take place in different times but they are all thoughts right now. Okay. So you can have thought right now about glasses, thought right now about something that did happen, thought right now, something that could happen. Thoughts of the past and thoughts of the future are not actionable. They're not. The past is happened. The future is not here. You take action here for here things. So I want you guys to pay attention to that too, just in case some of you are on this call, didn't see my little posts this week. Um, where are you fighting, right? We got starting like a, the, it takes place in a different time, but you're still fighting a right now thought. Thoughts are not fightable. Linda posted something funny in the chat. I must get my nail polish off or I won't get enough oxygen for my body. It would be funny if it wouldn't be so, so sad. Oh, I get it, Linda. I'm so sorry. But you know what? Just, just go and buy a nail polish and just stack layers under each other and yeah. wait if you will faint because your body's not getting any oxygen. That's really the only way through this fear. 
it's not about thinking yourself out of this or reasoning with this anxiety or telling yourself how how this doesn't make sense at all. It won't help. The only thing that will help is layering that nail polish onto your nails and seeing that nothing is going to happen. But okay, let's end it to the questions. Let's do it. All right, go ahead. You start. Uh, You want me to start? Okay, I'll start. I'll ask you. When will my off-balance issue resolve? I still feel I will fall while I'm walking. Mm. So unfortunately, I can't tell you when this issue is going to resolve, but I can tell you that you are feeling as if you will fall. So it feels like, but you are not. This is just what I mentioned. Those are glasses. They're real. But if I close my eyes and think of them, they're not real. It's just a picture. And it's the same in your case. You're picturing that you could fall and what would happen if you would fall. And now you're trying to prevent that from happening. And this is why you engage in this introspection, checking your body, how much dizziness are you experiencing, when it is, when is it getting more intense, and so on and so forth. Try to come back to, to reality. Did you fall? If you did, under which circumstances? So it's in very rare, very, very, very rare cases that you would fall because of anxiety. I have never heard of any case like that. You can get dizzy, yes. But if you get dizzy, you can just sit down for a moment, then get up and keep walking. So it's about letting go of the introspection and trusting your body that it knows how to walk. Trusting your body that it knows how to heal itself from this dizziness. And with dizziness, especially, and I assume it's dizziness that you're experiencing since you have issues or the fear of falling always balance off balance issues off balance but that is is kind of like related to dizziness isn't it yeah i mean just look at the words can you guys pick up on this it's so short i'm gonna read again when will my off balance issue resolve i still feel i will fall while walking so again notice a feeling and i'm attaching it to some worst case scenario she's not saying oh i feel off balance what if i have an orgasm right? Oh, I feel off balance. What if I fall? I don't want to fall. So better get rid of this off balance feeling so I can be sure that I won't fall. See, it it always comes down to certainty, uncertainty. This feeling reminds me of something bad that could happen. I don't want the bad thing to happen. So let's get rid of this thing that reminds me of the bad thing of happening. Does, Does this ring true to anybody else on the call? It might not have anything to do with off balance feeling. And what if I fall, but like, I feel nauseous. What if I throw up? My heart is racing. What if I die? I'm having thoughts. I don't like, I don't want to go crazy. Better get rid of these thoughts to make sure I don't go crazy. You see, they're all just different shades of the same color. Yes. And dizziness yeah. is very, very common. And dizziness usually uh, comes from the, I call them the anxious breather. <laughs> Because when, when, when you're anxious, you tend to, to tense up and you only breathe into the upper parts of your lungs. And what happens is that the air gets stuck there because usually when you take a deep breath, breath in, you have a lot more blood flow in your lower parts of the lungs and it gets distributed much better. But you're doing very shallow. And then there's dizziness because you're, you, you don't have the right balance between oxygen and carbon dioxide. And then you experience dizziness, but you don't, you did not notice that your breathing was off. You just noticed mm-hmm. the dizziness. Right. So the next time you notice dizziness before trying to attend to the dizziness and to the attempt of not falling, just notice, oh, how am I breathing? And then just go back to your breath, not to get rid of, but just to remind yourself to get out of that anxious breathing because there is no need to breathe like this. You can just breathe normally. Try that out. And I'm sure that will help. 
Yeah. Can I, I want to mention breathing too, because this comes up so much. How many of you are doing a million breathing exercises and must stop and breathe to breathe myself to calmness. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's like always the go-to coping mechanism um, that you'll see everywhere online. And like, Aida, you said it perfectly. It's like, you're not breathing to get rid of. It's like, (laughs) if you're doing this, you're sending this message that there's danger, right? The whole point of changing how you're breathing is to show look, there's no bear. And I'm showing you because I can sit here and go and I can hold it and I can let go. And my focus is here because my focus is not on danger. I'm choosing to focus here. So it's like the whole point of breathing that way is to show that there's no danger, not to try and calm down. And that's, yes, that's such, this makes sense guys. It's such a fine line that everybody gets stuck on. Yeah, but it's it's so true. And thank you for, for saying that, Michelle, because I'm sure after what I said, everybody went like, oh, yeah, I just need to change my breathing. Then my dizziness will go away and I'm rid of this discomfort. No, exactly as Michelle said, we're doing that to show with our body what kind of attitude we have. Our body is like our, a stage, a theater of our attitude. It's the same with oh, accept and allow or mm-hmm. bring it on. <laughs> it's just kidding, just, kidding, just a little bit. Yeah. Bring so stupid. <laughs> so breathing our body knows how to breathe and thankfully we don't have to to watch our breathing but we can notice when we when we get into this anxious breathing and then just say oh there's no need for that yeah see right there there's in chat manon me i went to the doctor today because i'm scared to probably miss i'm going to pass out and can't get my breathing under control right wrong you're, you're, do, you're going at it the wrong way. I, if I could just get my breathing under control, I won't pass out. But you're acting in a way as if you're fighting danger. You're trying to fight off passing out, which is keeping your breathing in a heightened state. And I have to control my breathing and go to the doctor to get a guarantee that I will not pass out. That's not dare. Dare is no, not fighting ideas of what if, right? We're not trying to control breathing. We have lots of breathing exercises on DARE. We bring in um, some of these master classes about breathing, but it's to teach you how to let go of, to show, to put yourself in a state that I'm acting like there's no danger. If there was a bear, I wouldn't be freaking doing this, right? I would be, and I focus on a bear. I can focus on my breathing as long as I'm not treating my breathing as the danger, okay? That's the, again, must or else mindset is where we're all getting stuck here. And my next day advance call will be on breathing. So if any of the day advance members are here and you're interested, make sure to, to listen to, to my next call. I'm going to do some fancy breathing exercises fancy breathing. with the right intention. It's not going to be fancy, but <laughs> Sandy just, just said, I've noticed that I do all the right things in terms of lifestyle adjustments, but it's all about anxiety control. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank yes. you, Sandy. And you're not alone with that. I would say, Michelle, correct me if I'm wrong, everybody at some point on their journey falls into that trap. Yeah. Not meditation. Meditation. Who's trying yeah. to meditate the shit out of this? Let's meditate. Eat. Clear my. So this is what this is what I talked about on my last air advance call. It was actually this. So this might even pre-answer some questions. First, we have an awareness of things. We can't do anything without awareness. Because if you don't know what's here, right? Like there's nothing to do next. 
with our alarm, when our alarm is in a heightened state, it tends to heighten our awareness. So now like we're more aware, which makes us then notice more things. This is not, you don't get to choose what you notice. You get to observe what's been noticed. Oh, I noticed that, oh, when the light's a little brighter in my room, now I notice that little crack in the wall over there. I didn't notice it before because there was less awareness of it. So again, these two things are not problems here. These are noticeable sort of stuff. What happens next is once we notice something, we decide, oh, and what I've noticed, is this going to get my attention or does this get disregarded? And we do this all day long. We focus on what we're deeming as important. And as a byproduct, your brain sort of filters out the unimportant stuff based on what you're treating as important. Oh, she's looking this way to across the street. Then all this stuff will go into her peripheral vision. Then we did some like fun little exercises on that, on how to find what you're looking for. So we did like an I spy thing and we did some other stuff. Guys, that's the point of meditation, not to clear your head not to get rid of thoughts, not to feel better, to decide that this is all the stuff here that's been noticed. And I've decided what I'm paying attention to and what I'm not paying attention to. We kind of suck at that part because we pay attention to everything we're noticing. And so it's like, oh yeah, I've noticed that thing, but I'm bringing my attention back to here now. That's really the essence of meditation, not to get rid of these thoughts, but to say, oh, here's some thoughts that I have noticed and I've decided to pay attention towards oftentimes with meditation, it's my breath or whatever it is I'm focusing on. We're learning how to grow our focus and our ability to direct our own attention, not to get rid of what we're trying to not see. And I, I really wanted to make that point today on breathing, which I'm glad you brought up. And really this whole mindfulness thing, it just means be where you are. And pay attention to what you've chosen to pay attention to. You don't have to pay attention to something just because it's the loudest thing in the room. You might notice it the most, but then you direct your attention back here. Exactly. And Sandy, just, just to, to add to that, you already said it's about anxiety control. And that word actually says everything. Right? Anxiety and control are BFFs. They go hand in hand. And it's always willingness against control. If your willingness is high... Your control will be low. If your control is high, your willingness will be low. So focus on increasing your willingness of letting go, let allowing anxiety to do its thing. And that is the hardest part because we think if I do that, if I allow anxiety to run its show, it is going to overwhelm me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go crazy. I will not only have the soul flu, as you so nicely put it, but I will fall into a very dark and deep clinical depression. I'm never going to get out of that. Those are the things that we don't want to happen. So this is why we think we need to control the anxiety. But this is how we, we might keep it at bay a little bit with that. This is why people do it because they get something out of it, but it usually doesn't work well and it doesn't work for long it maybe works on days where you're really strong and your life is going well you don't have a lot of stress then control can work to some extent but just wait until the stress mounts up or something happens and you're going to feel like everything is shattering down and you will feel very vulnerable and scared and anxious and this is the point where usually people say i'm experiencing a setback right So just notice willingness, is my willingness high? If it's not, let's work on that. Is my control high? Okay, my willingness is low. And we have a great daily dare. I wrote a meditation on the willingness dial. 
Um, I don't know if you guys know that, but this is by far my most favorite guided visualization to increase your willingness. It's like you imagine you have a volume dial and when you're faced with an anxious situation or even an internal experience and you feel you're resisting, you're like, I don't want this. You can imagine that you're turning that volume dial, your willingness dial up and say, okay, whatever, let's do this. That's a great way to, to practice that. But okay, we're drifting off all the time, Michelle. Sorry, you guys. <laughs> I know. We will run this call for like 15 hours. If... Yeah. <laughs> so, um, next question, Michelle, for you. To what extent is it important to know the cause of your anxiety and resolve underlying stressors to prevent getting into the anxiety loop in the future? Also, because I do struggle with DPDR, I don't feel like myself. Will I ever like myself again and normal? And feel normal, I guess, once symptoms subside. How do I know I'm recovered? There are three questions here. Let's start with one. To what extent is it important to know the cause of your anxiety and resolve underlying stresses to prevent getting into the anxiety loop in the future? Um, it's important, but like this much important. Okay. It's important to again for awareness of what it is that you fight, right? If you are aware that, oh, here are these things, oh, this makes sense, right? This happened in my past. And of course, my alarm is in on high is on high alert. Maybe I've experienced trauma in the past. Or, oh yeah, that makes sense. I was scared when I, this was happening. And now my my brain sort of glued this situation together with this experience. So that's just kind of like what set the scene, like your why. The only reason for your why should set the scene for your now what. So like, that's why we don't spend a lot of time talking about let's dig deep today and go back to your past and what happened when you were three. Like if there, if you had something, my disclaimer is if there was something major that did happen, that you're spending a lot of your now time doing this. Nope, 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 not this. You're still fighting your past. Okay. And so when if you go to therapy to deal with things from your past, you want to take it with this dare attitude of like learning how to treat present thoughts that take place in the past as not danger right now. And, and that's kind of like the mindset you take to sort through stuff in, in the past. But for why am I like this? Why today and not yesterday? unless there's an obvious reason, like you drank 10 energy drinks or you forgot to eat meals for like five meals in a row, like, yeah, go eat. Yeah. Have a, have a good sleep. Oh yes. Good. Oh, I, I'm aware. Like, oh, I'm about to get my period. Sure. That makes sense. But it should, all of that should help you with this part, with the, the not fighting part. Did, would you, anything to add to that? Like, did I, did I get that part? Like, um, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting to know. And yeah. because it helps you sometimes put things into a drawer, like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. I get why I'm here. I get it. Okay, good. Now I can let that question go and focus on the solution. So it's interesting and it can be helpful, but it's not, you know, you, you have to be aware of, of that, um, of th thinking, oh, this caused it. So let me go back and resolve it. Then it's not going to be in the here and now, you know, some, hypnotherapy with aggression, for example, works with methods like that. And it's a great technique for certain conditions, not for anxiety, because the mechanics are different. Psychodynamic therapy has its, its, um, 
It's relevant, it's good for some things, but not if you are fearing fear. That is happening right now. It doesn't matter what caused it. Interesting to know. But you won't believe, and we can count how many of our clients said, I've been doing this. I went through all my childhood traumas. Then I digged out the traumas from my mom. Then uh, my the, neighbor. The yeah, every, I worked through all my traumas. And usually what happens is that people get even more sensitized because working through traumas is sensitizing. Right. It is sensitizing because you're digging up pain. Now I'm feeling more anxiety. Oh, of course you are. Yeah, of course yes, you are. you're going yeah. through old stuff and your old protectors coming up to protect you from the old stuff that you tried to keep at bay. So if you're going through old stuff to feel better right now to help anxiety. It, it almost has the opposite effect. Not to say don't do that to deal with that stuff, but go with this mindset of like, well, of course I've done a whole lot of protective things to try and lock this stuff away. And now I'm working with somebody that's helping me unlock it. And it's not going to feel good when it sort of comes back out. And I have to let myself not feel good. That's kind of like the weird, simple part that we miss. We don't let ourselves not like, how do you treat the feelings you don't like, right? It's, it's kind of learning how to treat them fairly. You might like the ones that are more enjoyable, but if we create some sort of resistance to the ones we don't like, they're marked as danger, right? Yeah. And they're really not dangerous. They're unpleasant and uncomfortable, but they are not danger. Don't dig up too many holes at the same time. It's always what I tell my clients. Yes, if there are things you want you want to, to go through from your past that is still bothering you today, absolutely do that. But if you're at the moment fighting anxiety and you're stuck in the fear of fear, take care of that. And when that is done and when you're comfortable with that discomfort and know how to respond to that correctly, then you can take that attitude and go to the past. But doing both at the same time, boo, it's, it's a lot. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, so next, where was the rest of that? I struggle um, with DPDR. I don't. Okay, the, right, right there. I struggle, and because I struggle. Sorry, sorry to interrupt but you. This one? Sorry. But there, there's uh, another question here. Um, to it's important to know cause of your anxiety and resolve underlying stresses to prevent getting into the anxiety. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's important to address what is the anxiety loop and why does the anxiety loop not have anything to do with stresses? Right. Right. And so that's this, right? Yeah. So it's good to know. Yeah, definitely know your cues so you can be aware to change your habits. So like, sure, it's important to know, oh, when I'm in a tight space, I tend to fight and, and act like I have to get out of here right now. So awareness of like, oh yeah, these are those things that ring my bell. So that like, again, it's good to know that so that when you go, you can pay attention to the actions and behaviors that you now go into when these cues come up, not to prevent these things from happening. But like, again, this is, this is the movable piece, not this piece. This is like the independent variable. So this is the part you get to change. You get to, you step out of this loop by how you act when these things come up. So again, awareness and understanding of like, oh, why am I so anxious? Oh, like that nail polish thing. I know that sounds weird, but that's a really common thing. Again, weird, but it's like something's on me and I can't get off and it's trapped and I feel stuck, like almost this claustrophobic thing. And I just feel like I need to take it off. Um, and so it's, it's that kind of like, again, must or else attitude 
that gets us locked in there. So yeah, awareness of why I'm feeling anxiety helps you identify these cues again, not to avoid these cues or to get rid of them. So you can be better prepared to use that more again, crank up that willingness dial of when I go into something that rings my bell, I have to learn how to go into it willingly rather than bracing myself for it. And Maura Morris asked, can you explain the anxiety loop a little bit more? The anxiety loop is basically this. It's obsession and your fear of fear. So you have a thought, oh my God, I feel heart palpitations. My thought is, what could that mean? Oh, oh God. And then I feel fear. And then my body reacts with fight or flight. And then I get more sensations, dilated pupils, sweating uh, palms, blah, blah, all the sensations that come with fight or flight. And then I notice those sensations. And then I start to have more anxious thought about those sensations. And those create more fear, more sensations, more adrenaline. And this is how this anxiety loop keeps spinning. This is how you get trapped into in this fear of fear. And this is the disordered behavior. It's not that you have a heart palpitation. It's not that you have the thought of, oh my God, what if my body doesn't get enough oxygen while I have this nail polish on? That's not the disorder. That's just a thought, a thought, mm-hmm. a possibility. But you are the one who could just say, no, that's stupid. So I'm not going to take this nail polish off now and move on. So this is not a disordered behavior. Or you can say, oh, yeah, it's true. That could happen. You're fused with that anxious thought. There's no distance between you and the thought, but you allow every thought to push you around. This is the disordered behavior, and this creates more fear and fear. And dare is really helping you to step out of that. Not that you don't have thoughts and don't have feelings and don't your, your uh, stress system doesn't fire. No, all of this will happen, but you get to respond differently, and then your body takes care of itself. Yeah, that was my, uh, my memory post came up. Um, it's something like anxiety is like anxiety is you don't get rid of anxiety to get rid of an anxiety disorder. It's the, it's that process of trying to get rid of anxiety that creates the disorder, right? Cause it's, this is a disordered behavior that gets it locked. Feeling anxiety is not a disorder. Okay. Feeling sad is not a disorder, but when we treat it as if it's danger, it locks it in. And with anxiety, again, this is the part of you that sends you energy to fight. It keeps you locked in a fight or flight cycle because you're fighting the part of you that's helping you to fight. And so like a few people write, explain more about white knuckling. How do you not white knuckle, white knuckling, white knuckling. Okay, guys, ready? Pick your hands up right now, make a fist and squeeze every muscle in your body as hard as you can for like 10 seconds. Just squeeze, squeeze harder. It takes a lot of energy, right? This takes active work. Okay. Now stop squeezing. Okay. That is how you stop white knuckling. And if you can do that, you can do this. It's just more of like a clenched brain and a soft, mushy brain. That's, That's a great, great exercise. <laughs> Let's do another one. Pinch your cheek hard. Mm. And I want you to really resist that pain and to say, I don't want this. I hate it. I don't want this. When will this go? And I want you oh, to I like mine better. This one hurts. But now the other side say yes to the pain. Say, okay, ease into the pain. And the right side, the left side say, no, I don't want this. I don't want this. And right side, you say, okay. okay. This is how you relax into it. The pain is still the same. It's still there, but your attitude towards is different. So when you go to work, somebody wrote, I white knuckle my way through work. You, you can go there, expect to have the pain, but your attitude 
will determine how you perceive that pain as either debilitating and leaving you traumatized or helping you to grow by saying, oh, that was uncomfortable today, but I made it. And I just increased my tolerance for discomfort. And it is temporary. temporary. If you truly know and really trust that the anxiety you are experiencing is temporary, there is an end to it. It will be, it, it will change everything, right? Everything will be, okay, I can do this. But the fear of, oh my God, this will last forever. And I will have to suffer for the rest of my life with this. This is the thought that drives that. So always keep in mind, this is pain. It's temporary. I can say, yes, increase my willingness, diffuse from anxious thoughts and trust that it's going to pass. Michelle, we are so bad at this. It's already so bad. Question question two. (laughs) So, okay, anxiety, okay. I think we covered that. Also, because I struggle with DPDR, I don't feel like myself. Yes, that's the nature of, of it. I feel like myself. Will I feel, will like, I my- feel like myself again, again and be normal, normal when symptoms subside? How do I know when I'm recovered? When you stop trying to recover. That's This is the weird Dr. Seuss-ish area where it's like, if feeling better is a goal, you're still focusing on DPDR as the monster and the monster must be gone and you're not looking at the must be gone must be gone is the problem, not what you're must be goning, right? Not what you're trying to get rid of. So I can replace DPDR with heart palpitations, with dizziness, with whatever. If you're desperately trying to feel better, if I hear this is not working because I still feel, right? You're still trying to get rid of DPDR. It's weird, guys. This is a forgetting sort of thing. This is the kind of thing that fades based on unimportance. If you're waking up every morning, checking in and looking for it. And again, isn't it natural to dislike uncomfortable sensations? Obviously you can dislike it all you want, but you don't have to fight what you dislike. You can just dislike. And that's the difference between like, like willingly and reluctantly. Are you going to like, yeah, I hate that shit. Mm -hmm. And that's the attitude or, oh my gosh, I hate this shit. Oh, just survive through it get through work, fight through it, battle through another day. If you're using fighting words, you are acting as if there's bombs dropping on your job. And if there are bombs dropping on your job, keep acting like that because you must act like you need to survive for real survival. But if it's just work, if it's just a cubicle and I just feel scared and I just, right? That's dropping the importance of a high, strong feeling. Okay. You can have an uncomfortable of highly uncomfortable yet unimportant feeling. Okay. I don't have to fight something. I can, I can just not like it. Does this help guys? Hope that helps. And you know, adding to that Randall's question, is it, I think that was Randall. Is it natural to dislike the uncomfortable sensations? Do you, do you like having the flu? No, you don't, right? It's uncomfortable. You dislike the sensation, but you're not living in the fight of, oh my God, what if I get a cold? What if I lie in bed with the flu? It's obviously very, very uncomfortable. You usually stay in bed all day long. You feel shitty. You can't do any of the things you would like to do, but you're not obsessing about it. Right. But and, that, that, and that's it, like the attitude people take. So like you had to wait for your doctor's appointment. You had a 20 minute wait. Like you might, nobody, two people might not like that, but one person is like, mm, what are you going to do? It's 
acceptance. It's oh fucking well, sorry. It's oh well, right? Like really that's the attitude. And the other person has the same way and is just as annoyed, but they're like, oh my God. Oh, it's been five minutes. How much? Longer? Oh, can you believe this? Oh my God. Every time we come here, we wait. I never want to do this again. It's vroom, vroom. You're just stepping on the gasoline with no place to go. And that is a waste of time and energy. You are exhausting yourself. Again, you're taking a lot of action towards something that's not actionable. So if you can't do something about it, stop the doing. Allow what you don't like, but drop the doing. Finally, how do I know I am recovered? You know that when you're recovered, when you're not engaging in disordered behavior anymore. I get DPDR, fleeting moments of this from time to time. But the default response is, okay, okay. That's why it doesn't linger around because it's not bothering me. This is why it's not a disorder. So it's just a sensation mm-hmm. as tingling or a burning sensation or a headache from time to time or feeling fatigue at the moment I have a stinging sensation in my eye (laughs) so yeah it's uncomfortable but the obsession part is not there all right let's keep going here how do you push past the fear that even with all okay ready guys I want you guys to answer chat in the answers not oh yeah I feel that too or yeah this sucks too but I want to hear your dare answers. Well, you have you all trained as ther- therapists soon. How do you push past the fear that even with all your efforts, you will never be fully free of the anxiety, the doubts in yourself and what you are capable of? Do you guys see it? Do you feel it in the words? Do you feel like the fight and the desperation? Right. And I also want you to notice that this is a what if thought, right? It's not, oh, those are glasses, but close my, oh, those look like glasses. Those could be glasses. And what kind of process is this person engaged in? How do we call that when we take every thought that crosses our mind as the truth and allow it to push us around and to dictate our behavior? Fusion. Come on, guys. She loves that word. Come on, fusion. Fuse together, right? Now it's like discomfort and fear are fused, which creates danger. Fuse, right? We fuse, but it's been fused to the wrong thing. You want to fuse that fear with snakes and fuse it with fire. It's fused to thoughts. So now automatically thoughts get a zap. Thoughts get a zap. You defuse by how you treat that zap, by how you treat. So, so like this relationship will start to break. Okay. Become, they become fused and it creates like fake danger, but the feeling is still of danger. Exactly. And this thought goes like this. What if even with all your best efforts, you will never be fully free of anxiety? You won't. What if you're not capable of doing that? It's, it's, it's a what if thought, but the stakes are so high that mm-hmm. it feels so dangerous. Right. But it's just, just, emphasis on just another anxious thought that you are fused to. So Instead of trying to answer that, because here again, there's a question now. Oh, I don't like that scenario. So what could I do to prevent that from happening? This is how how fusion works. Thought, oh, oh no, control. And let's try to prevent that. Instead of saying, 
I'm taking a step back. Yeah. My mind just gave me the thought that, oh, what if I never recover? And now I can either try and reason with that thought or I can just acknowledge it as an anxious thought, as a possibility that might or might not happen. I choose to believe that it will not happen because I have facts that prove that people can overcome their anxiety and that my anxiety is not special. So I choose to believe that and to focus my actions on that as opposed to focusing my actions on preventing that from happening. Right. Must or else. And you don't need to eliminate, you don't eliminate anxiety to eliminate an anxiety disorder, right? It's that push through, fight, get rid of is a gone yet. That's the disorder, guys. That's the problem. You don't eliminate sad to eliminate depression. You learn how to treat sad. You learn how to allow sad. It's the same approach. So, and you don't eliminate doubts. You're not going to be doubt free for the rest of your life. I have doubts. I doubt myself all the time. I have anxiety. I feel sad. I feel anger. But like, when you leave it alone, allow the fluctuation without the must or else. This, if you think you need elimination of discomfort to be healed, you're going at it the wrong way. Ouch. Yeah. It's not going to work. Not going to work. And for what it's worth, if I have asked a question, I didn't know one person who did not have that thought. Michelle, did you ha- ever have that thought? No, no, <laughs> no never, right? Never. Let me, let me never. just check the dare book. That's a weird one. Oh, maybe you should fight that one. Uh, that one, you know, it's, it's never the content of the thought. It doesn't matter, right? You open like, like a, a fortune cookie and whatever's inside, it's still a fortune cookie, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just your little fortune. That's just your little, little paper that's inside, right? It doesn't matter the content of the thought. It matters. You're fighting a thought right now as if a thought is danger. You're having thoughts of shitty scenarios. Okay. That's it. They're just thoughts. So it's the same kind of idea, but you see all, you guys see all those fight words in there, right? Next questions, Michelle, we have to keep it short and sweet or else we won't be able to go through the questions. So quick next question. How do you, Oh, it's me. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, four weeks ago, I was diagnosed with panic disorder after a horrendous panic attack that left me in a complete cycle of fear. I'm now one week on week five of SSRI and feeling confident that I can reduce them. Would you say reducing SSRI and focusing on dear CBT is more beneficial? If anything, the SSRI has only made me feel worse with horrendous side effects. Yeah, I can answer that in like four words. (laughs) Okay. Medication. Talk to your doctor. There's a million. We're not anti-medication. We are just not doctors. I can't speak to you about medication. However, if you're using medication as a, I just couldn't get grasp on dare. And now medication has kind of brought things down that I'm better able to practice this part allowing Then That's usually when people start a tapering process under the supervision of your doctor. Try not to cut tablets. If you can, that would be my suggestion. It's lots, lots of doctors can prescribe smaller doses. So, you know, you're taking the same amount every time. So if you're starting a tapering process, right, it's, it's more about all my sensations are gone and now I can come off medication and my anxiety is gone. It's more like, oh, this is the level of discomfort that I'm going to practice allowing. And as I get better at allowing this feeling to be here, as you start tapering off, right, your confidence and your ability to handle how you feel is improving. Okay. So keep, take that mindset, whatever discussion you have with your doctor. Um, but again, also expect 
to feel more uncomfortable. But again, the goal is not elimination of discomfort. It's learning how to grow your tolerance for discomfort. So I hope that helps summarize uh, kind of a complicated medical medication question. And just to to add quickly to that, you said you were diagnosed with panic disorder after a horrendous panic attack that left me in complete cycle of fear. So I assume since you're diagnosed with panic disorder that you're experiencing repeated panic attacks because just a single panic attack is not a panic disorder. And for what it's worth, panic attacks are the simplest thing to overcome. Like this, they feel terrible because they're so intense. But from all the anxiety issues that are there, panic attacks are the simplest thing to overcome. And I know that when you go to the doctor and they hear the word panic and anxiety, they are very quick to prescribe SSRI. And SSRI are in general a great thing if you have a chemical imbalance in your brain. But absolutely talk to your doctor, but also also focus on their focus on your willingness to experience panic attacks. Because even with the medication, the medication won't change your response. It might change the intensity of the panic attacks that might come up, if that makes sense. So using them together is, is the best way. But for anything else, of course, talk to you, doctor. Okay, so this one is about dizzy again. It's a long question, but in a nutshell, it's, um, you know, this idea that, you know, I have dizzy throughout the day, even when I'm sitting in the office but it becomes horrible and unmanageable, unmanageable. See, um, I pass out a couple of times in my life. Okay. And the feeling in line is the exact same one. And there was no possibility to sit down. I have to keep standing still on this line. I try now and then again to go, but it's so horrible that each trip feels like I've gone through some trauma. PS I've checked my blood vessels done and MRA for my head, few visits to cardiologist, neurologist, every test and doctor tells me the same. It's just nerves. So guys, this is exposure therapy. This is how exposure therapy works for this feeling of, okay, dizzy, right? Same sensation can be attached to passing out, can be attached to just feeling dizzy, can be attached to like anything, dizzy, (laughs) everything, right? But it's like, look at the words. I have to survive through, I can't sit down. I must stand still in line. Um, And so that was my post last week about exposure therapy. It's not just action. You must take action and do it enough times for it to become normalized. But if you don't also have your attitude and your intent on board, you're just going to reaffirm fear. If you're going to stand still and don't pass out in the grocery store, we've already addressed this, right? It's going to be, all right, I'm going to go to the grocery store. So I'm going to practice allowing dizzy without taking dizzy and hooking it to like, feels like I'm about to pass out and fight through dizzy to, so I think we kind of pre-answered this question unless, did I miss anything on that one? No, and definitely if it feels more traumatizing each time you're going out, that's a clear sign that you're white knuckling your way through. So you're expecting it not to get so intense today. You want, you don't want to feel it and to that extent that you are experiencing it. And this is why it feels so, so traumatizing. So definitely work on, on your attitude. When you go there on those exposures, expect the dizziness to be with you. That's how you lower your, your, your feeling of, or your attempt for control. And when you're there, work through it. It's not about enduring the situation. And when you're in the situation, ask yourself, am I just enduring this or am I working through this? Right, Michelle? Absolutely. Absolutely. Tolerating it or growing my tolerance for. Exactly. Cool. Um, that was that. 
I suffer from relationship anxiety and my anxious mind made me believe that I don't love my partner and went about telling this to my partner. Now my partner actually believe, believed I don't love him and he has drifted away from me having no feelings. Can he also be going through anxiety or has he actually lost love for me? That's a really tough one to answer. I'm so sorry. There are so many variables here that we just can't answer. But what I can say is, and, and it's weird, it's weird, but anxiety does this. You have an intrusive thought about not loving your spouse anymore. Yep. But what happened again here? What, there was a thought and there was cognitive fusion, strong fusion. So I believe that thought, which is just a thought. And then mm -hmm. I act on it. I go and I tell my partner, look, I have a feeling that I don't love you anymore. And of course, that is really hard to hear for the, the other person. And it's really hard if somebody is not experiencing anxiety or has experienced within the past for them it's really hard to understand like how could you say something like that how can you believe you don't love me and then say oh it's just anxiety I do love you so I think this is the part where it's it's people struggle a lot to make their family and their friends relate to to their fear um and if you don't experience anxiety you don't get it because think of somebody from the outside having somebody say I'm having all these thoughts that I don't love you anymore and they're like you don't love me anymore? Like, no, I just think I don't. Well, do you? Well, I don't know because I'm having thoughts that I don't. Well, well, I don't. And then it's, it's all, again, it's uncertainty. This, this particular thing does come up pretty often. So if you guys are experiencing this, such a common thing, not that, oh, I'm having relationship issues and I'm questioning if I still love it. What normally kicks this off, this relationship anxiety is either I looked at my partner and I didn't feel the feeling I should have felt, or I had a random thought of, or I like something I should have felt happier. And I kind of felt sort of flat. And, and I had this thought of what if I don't, what if I don't love this person anymore? And then what normally happens is, Oh my God, but I want to love this. I do love them. Oh my gosh. Well, what if I don't, I don't want to end this relationship. And we fight the thought and then, Favorite word, Ida's word. What is it, guys? Come on. Then we take fear and it gets fused to the thought and then it gets moved to the danger radar. And then we're doing everything in the world to prove to ourselves, no, no, look, I do love him. Look, 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 let's, let's go out on dates. Let's have a lot of sex. Let's hug each other. Let's do all these things. So I can start feeling, do I feel like I love him again? And you're only on the, I know this seems and sounds different than the other questions, but do you guys see the same main threads that run through this? Trying to prove a thought wrong just because you had a thought you didn't like. So the rest of it, I don't know how your partner feels about you. I, I, I don't, I don't know that, but, but like the actual anxiety piece that we're here to answer is like, and what was that? Oh, and maybe my anxious mind made me believe, right? Like no, that, you took that soft thought seriously. Yeah. But maybe, maybe you can tell your partner that you asked that question and that you actually got the feedback that a lot of people experience this. It's common. It's it's not a crazy thing that you went through. So maybe that what will help him believe that it's it's really just that. It's hard to believe for somebody who has not experienced anxiety. Truth be told. Right. All right, here we go. Okay. I am struggling with pain all over my body. And I feel like the accepting and allowing is very helpful going spaghetti. Would you have any more advice? Thanks. Mm. All that we said so far. 
<laughs> all that we said so far. I mean, where's the pain coming from? I think from? we pre-answered kind of that. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what kind of pain you're experiencing, but of course, if pain is usually something that you would check out with your doctor, use dare for the fear of the pain and what this could mean, but also be really kind and gentle to yourself and help you, your body through that discomfort. Right. As long as you're using it with the intention of caring for your body. You know, I, I think sleep is, is the best example for that. Um, if you guys work out late at night and you have, let's say, hit training and you go to bed and your mind is really tired and you want to drift off, your mind is ready to sleep, but your body wants to sleep, but it can't. It can't. It wants to, but it can't because it's just so sensitized from the training. It has nothing to do with anxiety at all. So at this point, I can say, okay, my body wants to sleep, but it can. So I can help it maybe with whatever, a hot bath, some herbal remedies. But here, my intention is to care and to help and not to, oh my God, I can't sleep. So I must find myself in, uh, to sleep. And then same with pain, same with PMS. My body is going through discomfort. My body is not my enemy, so I can do the best that I can with what I have to help my body through through this phase and not right. with getting rid of. And I think if we really, really understand that our body and our mind are not our enemy, but we make it our enemy, especially when we go through anxiety, it is not. Our body would do absolutely everything. And he's doing that from the moment you're born until you die to stay in homeostasis, to help you be healthy to survive. This is not something you will ever be able to change. The body knows that it is primed to heal and to be okay. So trust that. And as far as pain goes, again, there's a fluctuation of discomfort and the must or else response. Okay. So is there something you can do for the sake of pain? Just like, is there something I could do for my headache? Oh, oh, I could try this medication that my doctor offered me. Oh, I can try an ice pack. I can try this pillow for the sake of alleviation of discomfort. But when it's must or else, is it gone? Must stare and focus. Is it actionable? If it's actionable, do something. If I'm sitting on a splinter, I'm going to take the splinter out. Oh, look, the pain feel better. Great. I was able to do something. But if it's, I've done 10 million things and I'm doing a lot of work to get rid of something that is not actionable right, right now, I'm going to pay attention to this. I'm going to shift the attention, the focus, the importance, allowing this thing to be here. And I'm just going to mention the next question. It weirdly is the same thing. Why is this song keep playing in my head? Okay. It's, it sounds like the same thing. There's pain there 24 seven. There's a song lyric here 24 seven. How do I get rid of it? Guys, if it's a 24 seven thing and all of your actions are doing nothing to alleviate the discomfort, the action is increasing your attention to that discomfort. Then, then it takes the, then, then it's when it goes in the other direction, the action becomes almost your enemy, right? Do something for doable things. But if you're doing something for noticeable things that you don't want to notice, it helps you notice it more. Okay. So it's learning how to do a whole lot less, shift your focus, shift your attention, shift your energy, bring whatever it is you're fighting with you. So I hope that helps guys. And even though like, it seems different like the repeat, why do I repeatedly hear song lyrics? Because that's just what our brains do. Mm. Like, and you're just upset about it because you notice it and you're like, why is my brain doing that? Remember what I talked about in the beginning, there is some gray room of discomfort. We can allow our body and minds to experience and that everything that feels less than perfect is danger. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
you're going to have a headache from time to time. You're going to feel fatigued. There will be nights where you won't sleep well. From time to time, you hear a song repeating in your ear. From time to time, you have tinnitus. Whatever. Whatever. Allow your body more space for discomfort. It was never about where do we get this idea from that we always need to feel perfect and perfectly healthy and full of energy and optimistic. Where does that idea come from? We have zero tolerance for discomfort anymore. And this is really what we need to change or else if we keep our zero tolerance policy, we will always struggle with anxiety because we will always want to control and, and live in this experiential avoidance. I only want to seek out pleasure and I want to avoid pain at all costs. Yes. But this is exactly final elimination. Exactly. So allow your body to experience discomfort. Allow your mind to have shitty thoughts. Yeah. And okay. actually she answered her own question here. Cause it says it fades when I'm engaged or maybe it don't, it doesn't because I'm not paying that much attention to it. Exactly. That's it. But if you're, if the subject of the problem is song lyrics, Oh, must stay busy. So I don't notice the song lyrics. Oh shit. I'm not busy anymore. Oh, there's a song lyrics. better stay busy. If that's how you're treating this thing, this is more, this was never important to begin with. Okay. This, you don't have to get rid of this. It's, Oh, this discomfort became unimportant because my attention got pulled elsewhere. When I was involved in conversation, I didn't notice the song playing in the background. And when it was quiet again, I noticed it. Great. So now your real problem is how you treat being quiet when you hear that song lyric playing. If you're tolerating through it, if you're resisting, if you're complaining, if you're checking, is it gone yet? That's actually the problem. Not, not what you're looking at, how you're, act, how you're treating what you're looking at. All right. Oh, okay. So I'm going to pick another question, Michelle, which I find important because I don't think we covered that um, too much. The book and the app don't discuss in greater detail about chest pain. What is the root cause of chest pain and how many people have you, have you seen healed themselves from this type of panic attacks? From panic attacks, everybody, uh, the root cause of chest pain. So let's assume that you have your chest pain medically checked out and it's nothing physical, but you know this is caused by nerves, then the, the most common cause for chest pain, chest tightness, feeling of, of uh, that, that your muscles cramp is breathing. Because we breathe like this and shoulders go up and the air gets stuck here. And this is why we feel the, the, the tightness. And then we try to breathe even faster because I don't get enough air. And we do that and it, the, the room gets tighter and tighter. How do we breathe? If you look at the an, an anatomy of breathing, our, our lungs need to expand. So our diaphragm, when we breathe in, it pushes down, giving our lungs room to expand. And most of, of the air that we breathe in is, is in the lower part of the lungs where it will be distributed well into the body. But when we're anxious and when we're tense, we do... And the, the breath gets stuck here and this causes chest pain. And now you notice the chest pain. Then you're like, oh, fuck, I have chest pain. What could this mean? And you get even more tense and more tense until you work yourself up to having actually a panic attack that feels even more like a heart attack. So you see how all of these things are interlinked. But, but breathing, as we discussed earlier, and oh, I'm noticing there's tightness in my chest. Oh, true. I don't need to breathe. Uh, I don't need to stay in this anxious breathing. I can just breathe normally because obviously I'm in no danger. I show my body that I'm in no danger. So I step out of the anxious breathing and then you will notice that the chest pain 
gets better. But breathing is a big thing with, with, with chest pain because it's just your, your lungs don't have room to expand. And we get used to it. That's a weird thing. We get used to that kind of breathing. We're like, okay, this feels normal. And like when you do breathing exercise, you're like, oh, I did those breathing exercises and it felt so good. Oh, well, this is how you're supposed to breathe all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and you notice that dissonance. But just try when you go through through, through your day-to-day life to, to get into the habit of breathing into your belly. Like not this, you know, meditation, fancy belly breathing, but just imagine there is an arrow pointing down. And when you breathe in, you imagine you're pushing that arrow down. So you're pushing your diaphragm down and that's the only thing you need to keep in mind, pushing my diaphragm down means my lungs have room to expand. And if you can just get into the habit of doing that, it will help a great deal with chest pain and tightness. Um, I use med- I, w- I was okay doing great until I heard a daily dare from Barry saying meditation goes against dare. Ah, I don't believe that you heard that right. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle and I do write the 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 scripts for the daily dares so michelle and i would never say that meditation goes against here if you use meditation as a weapon to get rid of anxiety then you're using it wrong and this is when it will backfire but meditation is a great tool especially for all the things that you've mentioned charlie to strengthen your mind to bring it back when it drifts off this is what we call diffusion oh i'm noticing thoughts but i'm not reacting to them in mindfulness to bring my mind back when it drifts stay in the present wonderful that is absolutely dear and use dear when i'm in, in when i'm in an adrenaline state yes so yes 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 and the last thing you said meditation goes against dear yes if using it as a tool to get rid of if using okay. it with the right intention of self-care wonderful yeah and meditate you know it's learning teaching you how to just be here and then focus on what you're choosing to focus on which i think we kind of addressed like pre-answer this question in the beginning of this call. So again, not to get rid of, not to calm down from a heightened state, just be where you are. Okay. Um, yeah. We're not anti any of this. We're anti using a tool the wrong way. Cause like you can have a great screwdriver, but if you're using it to hammer in a nail and you're like, this isn't working, like fight. you're just using exactly. the wrong tool for the wrong job. You use a hammer to hammer in a nail. All right. Yeah. I wanted to answer one of these questions. Uh, even it seems weird. Um, it seems like a complicated question a little bit, but it's a kind of got an easy answer. Um, existential dread, right? I'm really struggling. How can I overcome existential dread? Existential people dealing with existential anxiety usually have um, one of the most detailed explanations of why and tell me all about the questions and why and what is the meaning and I could die and what does that mean and life after after death and what and the universe and what are we and where do we come from none of which is relevant to anxiety the answer honestly I'll make I was going to make a video of this but I thought it would make everybody really mad I still might make it the answer is this I don't know yeah I don't know that's the answer that's your answer. Cause if you knew you would know you would have certainty and it would have a period and there would be the end, but these are all on un- you're trying to answer unanswerable questions in the world of uncertainty. So there's no Google answer. You're just trying to find an answer so you can feel better. And if you're desperately searching for an answer to something unanswerable to attend to discomfort, this endless, relentless search is the problem. So your answer 
is I don't know. And then let go of the, the endless search for the answer. It's the endless search for an unanswerable question. That's the problem. And be okay with not knowing because that's really about it, right? Surrender to not knowing because this is an experience that all humans share. All, none of us know what comes after death. None of us know how we're made of. We don't know these things. But when you're, when you're uncomfortable in the uncertainty, because if you don't know what that means, that means you could be in danger. Again, is that true? No, it's not true. That's why surrendering to not knowing and this is, by the way, how you do exposure with mental things, right? By saying, I'm okay with, with, I don't, with, I don't know. And I surrender to this. I don't need to know. Or another thing that, uh, that you could say is, that's an interesting question. And I will come back to that when I come from a place of curiosity, because now I want to alleviate my anxiety and I'm not going to engage in that, but it's an interesting question. Right. right. If you're looking for the answer, right. To be like a yeah. philosopher, like if you're just yeah. interested in the meaning of life and you want to see what philosophers and religious experts say about it for the sake of information. But if it's a desperate hunt, cause I must know so I can ease this, this feeling of dread and, oh my gosh, but I am going to die. Oh, what if, and I can't stop thinking about the answers. Yeah. Hmm. What happens after? Oh, I don't know. And then come back here because you don't know the answer and you're still staying here looking for the answer. That's endless guys. There's no answer right now. So the answer actually is, I don't know. And then come back here, say, I don't know. And allow that discomfort until you start acting like, I don't need to know. I don't need to know how the universe was created to make a burrito. I'm going to cook my dinner while I don't know the answers to the universe. I can still engage here in life while I have unanswered questions. But you know, all of these, all of these sensations that you guys are experiencing from heart palpitations, chest tightness, existential dread, it's all about sensitization of your amygdala. That's it. That's it. Don't add other stories to it. My favorite, all time favorite diffusion answers, whatever is just stress hormones. Because mm-hmm. that's the truth. That is the truth. It's, but we experience sensitization, and then our mind latches onto things. So for some, it's more the health anxiety realm. And for somebody else, it's more the existential realm. For somebody else, it's panic attacks. Whatever. Or for somebody else, what if you don't love your partner? It's a relationship thing. It okay. does. Some people are just more prone to those things. And where we feel stakes are the highest, this is what we fight the most. But Really, in the end, it's just about your sensitized, your amygdalized firing like an idiot, boom, 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 without thinking. That's it. And your anxious mind is adding stories to it. So if you could diffuse from those stories and look at these things like content, when you, you don't obsess about spam mails, you go through your mail, you're like, oh, that's spam, that's spam, that's spam. Oh, that's a good email. That's spam, that's spam. Oh, that was one of our dare advance calls too. Yeah. So it's spam mail, but it's the obsession about, oh, why did I get this mail? Who dared to send me this mail? What would that mean? Is my computer now infected with a virus? This is the disordered behavior. Right. Because like with spam examples, right? Let's say, I don't think we, I said this on one of the Q and A's, but definitely on the dare advance calls. Um, like if Facebook sends you a targeted ad and you're not interested and you keep scrolling, but if you're like, oh yeah, look at that. And you click on it. The more time you spend in what Facebook thinks you find interesting, the more ads like that Facebook is going to send you, right? And so if you think, oh my gosh, all right, I clicked on it enough. Don't send it to me again. You're actually, 
you're, you're doing the wrong, your, your behavior is having the wrong results, right? So you're trying to do something to make sure you don't get any more messages. And really Facebook kind of gets the hint when you scroll through it enough times, you show, oh, that's awful. Uninterested. Nope. Not interested. Keep scrolling. We are very good at clicking and attending to, we're trying to make sure I never get another spam message again, or I never get this ad again. You're, you're only guaranteeing you're going to get more of them. Okay. So for the bare bones basics of dare, you were never meant to attend to your alarm system. You were never meant to attend to fear. Your body was built. So your body can send you fear. So you can attend to things. Okay. The problem is there's no things. There's no fire in anybody's room right now. There's no bear. Nobody's in actual danger. So we're kind of stuck in attending mode. Okay. Drop that. Not what you're, if you're attending to thoughts, you're, you're in attending mode. The dare response helps you with attending mode to things that are not attendable. Okay. And you definitely do not have to fight the part of you that's helping you fight. That is really where we're stuck. The fight of fear keeps us stuck in the fear of fear. You're in attending mode for something that's not attendable. So that's why we're teaching you how to let go. Exactly. I hope this helps guys. I hope you found this helpful. Any um, comments or feedback, anything clicked, anything from this, like clicked that maybe didn't click before? Ryan B said, I said, I love it's just stress hormones. I can drop the story. Yes. I can drop the fucking story. It's just a story. It's glasses in my imagination, not real glasses. Let's <laughs> drop it. Drop the story. I, I love that, that term. Thank you so much for that. Cool, you guys. Thank you so much. I know somebody asked in the chat where they can see more of these sessions. We have Dear Advance, which you can find on our homepage, dearresponse.com slash dearadvance, right, Michelle? And yep. this, is, this is how you get all the information. Dear Advance, Dear Advance is awesome. If you like this, you will love Dear Advance. We cover all things, anxiety and, you know, resilience and, and all that stuff. And the, the community is so great because we're usually around between 30 and 50 people depending on when the call is and it's it's always it's always a cool session with everybody yeah and it includes this okay so you don't pay for the app and pay for dare advance it's just 25 dollars, and you also still get this call um plus all the other ones plus a small facebook page um i think we're also in the process of oh well they were for a lifetime dare subscription i missed out oh i don't know um you can if any any other questions about like um subscriptions and stuff like that you can always message support at dareresponse.com um and um, i think moving forward either the next app update or the one after that you guys there should be a uh, a box or something where you can click and watch the last so this will be this is recorded and this will be posted up um, in somewhere in Darelands, And then you should get a, an email link to be able to watch this recording. Hopefully soon that will be right on the app. So you can just watch finally. the last, oh, it'd be so exciting to finally get that on there. And then you can just, if you're a premium member, you can just watch the whole last month's Q and a, and then, um, and then there should be information there, like how to submit a question for the next one, the day and time for the next one so that nobody misses out on anything. Cool. See you guys hopefully on Dear Advance one day. That would be great. Um, or I'll see you next month in here. Bye.
Bye, Thank guys. You so much. Take care. Have a good rest of the week. Bye, Take Michelle. Care. Bye. Thank you Bye. for listening to the Dare Podcast. The Dare app has over one million downloads and is helping people all around the world to overcome anxiety and panic attacks. You can download the app for free at dareresponse.com.